What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. If instead Putin doubles down, then so shall we, further ratcheting up economic pressure and supporting Ukraine with finance. Sanctions have to be as powerful as they can possibly be. We will be pushing the government to go further and faster. We could have a massive miscalculation and we will then be in a full-scale war across the globe. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts. Well, on today's programme, we're going to get the latest on Partygate after Boris Johnson was fined by the police with our politics reporter and with reaction from the SNP. We'll also discuss the future of someone else sanctioned for breaking lockdown rules. That's Chancellor Rishi Sunak. And in the week of recess, we'll speak to the Lord Mayor of the City of London. So Boris Johnson becomes the first sitting Prime Minister to be fined by the police for breaking the law, for attending a gathering for his birthday in the Cabinet Room in Number 10 in June of 2020. The Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, was also found to have broken the rules in attending the same event. Both have apologised and paid their police fines. Labour leader Keir Starmer says they had repeatedly lied to the British public and called on them both to resign. But with war in Ukraine, Conservative MPs appear to be backing away from any leadership contest. Well, let's get more now with our Bloomberg reporter, Alex Morales. Alex, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Westminster. Now, I feel like if this had happened in January, the reaction from Tory MPs might have been rather different. Yes, I think you're right there. I mean, the situation we had in January and early February was um, that there was there'd been a steady drip drip of all these stories about Partygate. Um, More than 12 gathering. Well, there were 12 gatherings in total that the police ended up um, choosing to investigate. Um, And and Tories were, you know, they were getting pretty fed up of these this slew of negative headlines. Um, You'd already had a dozen Conservative MPs saying it calling for the Prime Minister to resign um, or saying that they'd submitted um, a letter to uh, a backbench committee called the 1922 committee um, and when when the number of letters gets to a critical amount in this case 54 it triggers an automatic leadership contest a, a vote of confidence in the prime minister um, and and certainly if you had 12 sticking their head above the parapet and saying that they'd done this, um, you can be certain that there were quite a few more who hadn't done it. So it, it's quite plausible that it, at that time the, um, the letters were getting close to that critical threshold. Um, but as you said, the war in Ukraine seems to have changed the calculus in the party and the view um, that most Tory MPs seem to be sticking to is that uh, a time of international crisis is not the time to be changing Prime Minister. Yes, but this isn't over though, is it? The um police uh, investigation is still going on and there is Sue Gray. Talk us through what else we can expect uh, over the coming weeks. Yeah, well, so, so as I said, the police are investigating 12 events. Um, we, we don't quite know how they're conducting their investigation because they hadn't told us, um, but it seems like they've issued fines for at least two of them, maybe three. Um, and the, the birthday party event that, w- that the Prime Minister was fined for 
um, on the face of it, looked like one of the, the less contentious <laughs> events. Um, certainly, if you listen to the Chancellor's account of that event, he said he'd turned up for a regular COVID meeting uh, and there happened to be people there who sang happy birthday to the Prime Minister. Um, it, 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 it seemed like a, mo- a work meeting with a bit of birthday thrown in. Um, but, but there are other events that we, we don't know if the police have issued fines for yet. Um, there was one infamous one where an email went round saying, bring your own bottle. Um, and certainly you could see a scenario where f- uh, the prime minister gets more fines for, diff- for further events. Um, and if they drip out over the next few weeks, that could be um, very damaging. Good stuff. Right. Thank you so much for that update. That's uh, Bloomberg reporter Alex Morales. In this week of parliamentary recess, we're interviewing some figures from outside the Westminster bubble. The Lord Mayor of the City of London heads up the governing body of London's historic square mile, the oldest part of the city and home to its financial services industry. Vincent Kiveney, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Westminster today. Now, how far is the City of London back to normal after the pandemic? According to the uh, Bloomberg Pret Index, London's suburbs and the West End have fully recovered, but the city has not. Well, I, I, I love uh, Bloomberg's Pret Index. I think it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic uh, way to track activity. And we're up in the 80% level, somewhere between 80 and 84, 85%, I think, the, the, the last numbers I saw, which is yeah, significantly ahead of a number of other international financial centres. I think New York is still in the, in the 50% range. So uh, we are, relatively speaking, I think we're recovering well and strongly. Uh, we, we're seeing a very strong recovery in the midweek period, and that's borne out as well by the TFL data we're getting and we're getting through. Uh, the, and I think it's also just anecdotally borne out by what you can see if you wander around the city Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. If you go to a bar or a restaurant on a Wednesday or Thursday night, the, uh, the city is really back. It's buzzing. It's 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 full of people. Uh, so I think there's I think there's a very strong return to the city. I think it's also probably fair to say that a lot of employers are still very much working in a in a in a situation where it's permissive. They're they're they're, they're still working through where we are post pandemic with their with their workforces. Uh, we haven't yet got to a situation where where employers are, are are mandating or in any sense trying to force people back. So a lot of this has just happened very organically. It's very natural. People have just wanted to come back, and I think over the coming months we'll see more of that. And I think we're also going to see employers becoming a bit more structured about getting people back and perhaps spreading that return over the the full five-day week. As you say, it doesn't seem that employers have fully got this sorted yet, but certainly three-day working seems to be uh, the norm at quite a lot of companies. And and as you say, it's very noticeable when you walk around the city on Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays, it is a lot busier than than Mondays and Fridays. What does that three-day working pattern mean for for the centre of London and indeed for other cities around the world? I, I think there are a couple of points there. I mean, it, it certainly means that we have to think about if, if, if you accept that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is going to be the, the busiest period for office working, we're going to have to think about how we use the city centres. Uh, how, what, what, what's, what, what's the other dimension to the offer? And I'm seeing it. I mean, living, living in Mansion House, as I do as Lord Mayor here uh, over the weekends, you know, I, the, 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 contrast to, the contrast between the city that I started as a junior lawyer in back in the 1990s and the city of today, the weekend, the contrast at weekends is extraordinary. It really is. I mean, you used to come in if you were working on a big deal and you had to come into the office on a Saturday or a Sunday. 
Yeah, the city was completely dead. There was nobody around. Now you're wandering around the streets on a Saturday and Sunday, and there's lots of people around. T tourists come in, visitors from other parts of London who just want to come and spend a bit of time in the city to see, to, 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 to either to shop or to go to the museum or to go to St. Paul's. Yeah, there's, there's so much to do. So we have to sort of reinvent the, 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 the offer. And we are doing that. The City of London Corporation is looking at that offering, the, the vibrant offering that we can make to, to, to people to make this an interesting place to spend time outside the office. But I also, I also think we are going to see as employers, as uh, employers begin to think about how they use the office, I think, I think a lot of employers will want to spread that work, the, the working week out over the five day week. So there will, there will be a situation where you'll get people coming in uh, over five days. And that, that would then begin to, to allow employers to think about how they can use the space. There's no point having an office which is full three days a week and empty two days a week. We got, people have got to work out how they use the office space in a, in a way where the, the, the space is being used on a, on a consistent basis across the week. And do you think that also means planning authorities, including the City of London, being more flexible about, about how things are used? Because... Presumably we will need, you would think we would need, we need less office space and perhaps more space for other things, maybe other more interesting things. Well, we, 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 I think the, the city, we want to retain at the core of the city a, a really strong offering in terms of office and really high-grade office. So a lot of the work that's being done at the moment is, is thinking about the office of the future, more flexible space, space which allows for workers to... To, to collaborate in a, in, a, in a much more effective way and, and to, really, to really enhance the experience of being in the office. And I think that's going to be a, a really positive outcome of the pandemic, that we're going, we're going to see much more high-quality office space coming online in, in, in coming years. And we, we're seeing that coming through in terms of applications, planning applications in, in, in 2021, up 70%. Up, up uh, on, on, on 2020, uh, we, there, I, I, CBRE, I, was, I attended a, a CBRE breakfast uh, last week and one really interesting stat, there are 12 buildings in excess of 100,000 square feet being, being built in the city area at the moment, in the square mile at the moment, 45% pre-let. And that doesn't, that doesn't look to me as if there's any great falling away in interest in office accommodation in the city. But I think this is going to be about how we use the, that, that space, how we make it higher grade, better space for, 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 everybody, for everybody concerned. And, and what about residential development? Traditionally, hardly anybody's lived in the city of London, but surely that model is, is a bit out of date now. Well, the, the, well one of the problems we have in the city is, 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 the, is the space available. We are only a square mile. Uh, so, uh, and w when you look at where we can put uh, residential, that is a there is the real constraints around where you where you can where you can develop significant amount of residential space there really isn't very much uh, very much of available space you might look at one or two sites here or there but actually across the square mile it, it the, the, there isn't there isn't really the, the space for significant amounts of residential development given the plans given what's already approved and given the building that's already going on significant office developments so I, I, I think I, I, I think the there is this, there is there is certainly a there's residential plays a part in that, and we have we've seen a good deal more residential in the city around the fringes of the city in recent years. I'm sure that trend will continue, but I I, I think preserving at the heart of the city a, a world class offering in terms of office space is going to be absolutely essential uh, to 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 ensure our to I think it's part of our it's it's 
absolutely at the core of being a global financial center, the, the, the leading international financial center of the world. In a moment, we'll get more on the police fines for Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak. But first, let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics today with Bloomberg's Leanne Gerin. So, Leanne, another day, another expectation beating inflation reading. Yes, indeed, Ewan. And it's been tighter for households in March after we did get this inflation data out, which really showed us why. And that is as rising food and fuel prices cause inflation to hit a new 30-year high of 7%. Now, this jump is without increases to household gas and electricity bills being reflected. Consumer prices rose by 1.1% last month. Now, that's the fastest increase on record for the month of March. This is all adding to the pressure on the government, of course, and also on the Bank of England to act. Inflation is now a major danger for businesses too, for us consumers and also for Boris Johnson's government. So we're just going to go on to how it's really impacting businesses. So Tesco, that's the largest supermarket right here in the UK, is warning that it faces a battle to keep prices low and could see a hit to profit later this year. Tesco is warning profit will be really squeezed as it battles to keep prices low for consumers facing a cost of living crisis due to soaring inflation. The supermarket does control about 27% of the UK grocery market and employs more than 360,000 people. That's a huge number of people. And I'll tell you, since last year, prices have been rising fast. And the reasons really for this is there's also pandemic restrictions have been eased and firms are facing higher energy and shipping costs which they have passed on to us consumers. So when we go to the till, we do definitely feel a slight pinch. Things feel a little bit more expensive. And fuel had amongst the biggest impact on the inflation rate, with the average petrol price now rising 12.6 pence per litre between February and March. Now, that's the largest monthly rise since records began all the way back in 1990. So we are having a multi-pronged impact, really. We're seeing rising food bills, we're seeing rising fuel bills, and we're also seeing our cost of living, our household bills go up, gas and electricity. Yeah, 1992, last time inflation was this high. Just uh, briefly, one other story, Leanne. Wayne Cousins, the serving police officer found guilty of murder, is back in court. Yeah, indeed. Um, And I don't know if you remember this story, but I think a lot of us living in London and in the UK just remember what happened to Sarah Everard and how much the public really rallied to find her, but sadly didn't. So Wayne Cousins, who was a serving police officer, he no longer is, is due to appear in the Westminster Magistrates Court. Now, that's a little bit later today, and he's charged with four counts of indecent exposure in Kent. The alleged incident are believed to have taken place in January and February last year before he did murder 33-year-old Sarah Everard in Clapham during the coronavirus lockdown of March 2021. At the time of her kidnap, Cousins was a serving Met Police officer, as we said, and he's now serving a whole life sentence. And I think what's going to be crucial in this next stage when he does appear in court is why he wasn't reprimanded for these indecent exposures and what went wrong in the system that led him to the murder of Sarah Everard. 
Leanne Garrins, thanks so much for joining us. Now let's get back to the story of Boris Johnson becoming the first sitting Prime Minister to be sanctioned for breaking the law after attending a rule-breaking gathering at Downing Street during lockdown. First Minister Nicola Sturgeon says that, uh, Scottish First Minister Nicola Sturgeon says that basic decency demands the Prime Minister should go. A little earlier, Bloomberg's Anna Edwards spoke with Kirsten Oswald, Scottish National Party MP for East Renfrewshire. I I certainly am calling for him to step down. Both Boris Johnson and his Chancellor Rishi Sunak really need to go. You know, the the Prime Minister has repeatedly misled Parliament. He's lied to the public. At times he's he's even laughed this off. He's taking the public for fools here. And the situation is so unacceptable and so upsetting for people who did obey the rules that Boris Johnson made, um, although Boris Johnson himself has has driven a a coach and horses through these rules. And I'm hearing from people who who missed out on going to the the funerals of loved ones, people who who couldn't be with loved ones as they passed away. People are really, really deeply feeling this and they are absolutely furious about this. And what needs to happen is if the the Prime Minister does ignore the the calls from uh, opposition leaders for him to step down, is that his own MPs need to grow a backbone and remove him from office. So some of those MPs that you suggest need to grow a backbone, some even some of the ones who've been calling for him to step down for a very long time are now saying, yes, we're, we're still angry about party gates and we're angry about these fines, but this just isn't the time there's war taking place in Europe. How do you respond to that? I, I don't think that that really works. So I think that there are two two particular things uh, that, that people might want to think about here. And, you know, in, in relation to the, the war, you know, that there's an, an election taking place in France and they're going to change the, the leader. Uh, you know, the, the leader of the, um, the UK Parliament has changed um, on a, a number of occasions when there has been a conflict situation. So I think given the, the absolute unity of purpose across uh, the, uh, the 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 nations of the, the UK and across parties in terms of Ukraine, that argument simply doesn't wash. It's a smokescreen. But I think that the other thing which will really begin to play on the minds of Conservative Party MPs is the views of their constituents. So already I have hundreds of emails in from people who are absolutely enraged by this. People are deeply, deeply upset. Mm. And if I, who have a very predictable view on this, have such a a large volume of communication from people living in my local area, I'm very sure that Tory party MPs will be receiving much more than that from people letting their views be known. And I think it's impossible for them to justify the conduct of the Prime Minister. Lying to the House of Commons is a really serious matter. And obviously he has misled the public on numerous occasions Mm. too as he's broken his own rules. I don't think that this story goes away. So if he won't do the decent thing and step down, then I think it will become increasingly difficult for his MPs not to do it for him. SMP's Kirsten Oswald speaking to us a little bit earlier. Well, now let's discuss the future now of someone else fined for breaking uh, lockdown rules at Downing Street. A month ago, Rishi Sunak was riding high in the popularity stakes seen as the obvious candidate to replace Boris Johnson should the Prime Minister be forced out following weeks, months of bad party gate headlines. But then that spring statement seen by many as a missed opportunity, opportunity to ease households soaring costs of living. And now the Chancellor himself has been sanctioned by the Met for breaking the government's own rules. Well, Bloomberg Opinion's Adrian Waldridge has been writing about Sunak's future in a piece for the Bloomberg Terminal and website and joins us now. Adrian, uh, thanks for coming on uh, Bloomberg Westminster. Now, 
Uh, it's been a pretty turbulent few weeks, hasn't it, for the Chancellor? And he's uh, really gone from uh, hero uh, to zero very quickly. Absolutely. This is not a man who is used to dealing with negative publicity. And now he's had three very serious pieces of negative publicity. One about his uh, wife's um, use of her non-DOM status to reduce her tax burden on her global income. The second about his own uh, green card, which he uh, had until relatively recently. And then the third, which is really rather surprising, is uh, the Met's sanction of him for attending uh, a party. He's now been caught up in the Partygate scandal. So this is not the sort of world that he's used to dealing with. No, almost a sense that uh, he hadn't really faced a serious test and then suddenly he, he's faced a, a, Absolutely. A, a whole string of them. And you talk about some of the, the, the beneficiaries from this. Uh, I, I think until this week, perhaps the Prime Minister was uh, uh, perhaps uh, pleased that some of the shine was coming off uh, the, the person who's talked about as his successor, but of course, both of them uh, in some trouble this week. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is rather surprising, actually, that Rishi has been sanctioned. Um, and I don't think he was expecting it. He sort of, um, he was over at number 10 for uh, work purposes. He happened to sort of uh, step into the party. He was only there for a very short period of time, and he wasn't expecting, and nobody was really expecting him to get caught up in this. Um, and he's not used to this sort of thing. He's a person who puts a great store on his own honour and dignity. He has a very different political style from the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister has obviously been slithering in and out of trouble throughout his whole political career. So it's not only been a very difficult uh, few weeks for him, it's also been a, a very un, un, unexpected and challenging one. This is not what he went into, into politics for. And very interesting, you write about uh, what it means for the, for the Brexit coalition. You say that uh, Rishi Sunak has quite carefully ridden both sides of that, uh, appearing as a, uh, as a cosmopolitan technocrat in London and, and, a, and, a, and a Brexiteer in, in, in Yorkshire. Absolutely. The Brexit coalition consists of two utterly different groups of people. One is sort of ultra-globalists who thought that the EU was a constraint on Britain's global ambitions, people who really took to heart Schumpeter's notion of creative destruction on the one hand, and then people who really didn't like change on the other hand. And Rishi, belonged, uh, Rishi Sunak belonged to the, to the first group of people, but he was quite good at appearing to uh, be you know, one of these more more locally rooted people. He sold himself to his uh, constituents in North Yorkshire very well. And now he has been unmasked, or he certainly appears to be somebody who is, you know, very committed to uh, ultra-globalization. His wife is, is Indian. She spent much of her life in the United States, as indeed um, he has. And it's difficult to sort of combine that with the um, idea that you're a person who cares very deeply about local routes um, and getting off the, the turbulence of the, the, the globalisation world. So this, this, this role that he's played um, is now, I think, completely impossible to play. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.